Welcome to our sixth Be Bolder podcast. It is such a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for joining us. Today, I have a very special group with me. Under these unusual circumstance, circumstances of school closures and virtual learning, this group has been the heartbeat in the Roosevelt School District. Together, they have organized donations for food, set up food pantries at every campus, and developed an entire social-emotional framework to support students and families in our district. If you haven't guessed it yet, I am talking about our extraordinary social workers. This group is diverse from various schools in South Phoenix. They bring a wealth of knowledge to the table. Today, we will be sharing the expertise of Tiffany Hughes, David Kyrus, Kristen Kurtz, Linda Flores, and Barbara Wolf Coburg. Thank you so much for joining me today. Be bold, team. Um, I would say that there's a lot happening right now. Like um, overall, um, our community around South Phoenix is going through a major um, traumatic event that the whole world's going through, right? And there's a pandemic um, and there's a lot of needs um, that are were there prior but are now um, magnified, right? That that there's so many more family members um, affected and so many more families around us. So childhood hunger, um, lack of um, resources, uh, lack of access to healthcare um, and things like that. And, and our social workers have jumped on that and started to try and fill those resources or, you know, fill those gaps in resources um, by flooding South Mountain, uh, the South Mountain community or the South Phoenix community with, uh, with resources. Um, a, a good story that I could tell you guys is that when the pandemic first happened, um, there wasn't a lot of testing going on in South Phoenix. And a lot of our, our residents didn't have transportation to leave South Phoenix and go and get tested. Um, and so one of our, um, our social workers, Omar Fabian, over at Jorgensen um, was talking with families and reached out to the city of Phoenix and brought COVID testing, some of the first COVID testing sites to South Phoenix through those conversations that he was having and seeing that need. Tell me what it is exactly that you're doing to support the families to make sure they're connecting with the schools. How are you making that connect? I'll say that a lot of the um, connections that we're making with the community include like home visits and just really reaching out to families, whether it's via class dojo or, you know, technology or even in person as much as possible and making sure that they have what they need. And if they don't, um, giving them a safe space to communicate those needs, um, because the other thing, the other challenge that we face is that families are can be embarrassed right to share um that they're struggling um some of some families this is the first time that they've been in a situation where not to use resources in the community um and they are having a hard time with coming to terms with that and so just giving them the space and the opportunity to say you know what this these are the areas that i'm struggling with or that i need help with and um connecting them with those resources and making them feel comfortable utilizing some of those resources can you tell me what like one of those experiences is like when you're reaching out to a family for the first time and you know you're making a difference what is that like you know oh, go ahead I was just going to say that, you know, I think in the past, you know, people were ashamed to reach out for help. You know, they didn't know how to word it or how to say it. And I think 
definitely with just their increased of knowledge of technology, learning from their own children at home, you know, how to navigate class dojo and even how to send text messages as grandparents, you know, they are feeling more comfortable being able to just write us a quick message like, hey, do you, do you have an idea for this or do you have a resource for this? And maybe it was uncomfortable for them to call the school and ask for the school social worker, but now they can just privately go into our class dojo and just ask us like, hey, do you, do you have this information? And I think it makes them feel empowered that we can just be there for them quickly to give them that information. You know, I feel a lot of parents, you know, typically, you know, would get off work at five or six or seven and just couldn't find the time to contact us. And I, and I love just the increased ability for them to just send us a text, send us a class dojo after hours, and they can quickly get that answer. So I just, I just love that part about the virtual and just their increased technology use. So you said some really critical things, Kristen, and I'm just going to go ahead and name those things that you identified. So the community feels empowered, number one. Two, community has increased, or excuse me, communication has increased. And then three, you mentioned about technology. I wanted you, I want all of you to recognize that technology hasn't been easy in every school district. Like some school districts have really fumbled in that area. But can you tell us what we did that might be different from other school districts in regards to technology? One thing I did at my school is, you know, I made a video for families right off the bat and I kind of introduced them to my own kind of virtual office because all of us as, as social workers in our department we created virtual offices for our school so families had a place to go to actually connect with us online we made an actual forum like for them to go to to be able to connect with us right um and from there not only were resources provided um in various cases but also again a little more um just presence on class dojo you know i know before this pandemic and I don't believe every school uses it, but I think most schools do use Class Dojo. It was something I hadn't needed to use, you know, because last year I was able to really connect with families one-on-one, -on -one, you know, whether they visited the campus, connect with teachers, students, much more easier before the pandemic, right? But now this virtual setting, you know, that, that we're talking about and basically the processes change and that it, in adapting what we needed to do I don't know, I think it was just more visibility online, right? Like with with Class Dojo and trying to kind of understand how students needed to reach out to teachers and how families were connecting with teachers, if that makes sense, because we don't have our own classes per se, like, like a classroom homeroom teacher does, right? And so just getting into to that similar format that, that teachers were using to already connect with families, I guess is what I would say. Can you talk a little bit about that what does your students use in the district in order to like have that communication even open? Yeah, I would say that, you know, prior to the pandemic, um, technology um, um, or computer access and things like that used to be a luxury, right? And a lot of our families probably couldn't afford to have some of those devices at home. But I think something that Roosevelt did that 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 is extraordinary was we gave each and every kid their own iPad to take home. Um, and each of the schools kind of did their different ways of dis distributing those iPads. But it was also a really cool way to connect with the kids when they drove by and we had masks on and it was mobile and we handed them their device 
advice and got to connect with them and families that also um, maybe couldn't afford um, internet access. Um, we, uh, you know, the, the school district was able to provide them with hotspots. Um, we, we, as a school district, also um, started uh, p- putting buses out uh, with different Wi-Fi connections to like maybe have them be able to connect to there. And so things that used to be a luxury when, um, and, you know, with internet access and access to these kind of devices, um, became a necessity when when school went online and something that roosevelt i think did really well was transition that um into you know transitioning our students and their families into uh that next uh step and so i think another cool thing was kind of like what Kristen said was then our parents were able to have another way to communicate with us and um that was pretty powerful uh something to add on to that was that we made sure even with the parents who giving out supplies, we made sure they had hand sanitizer, things to sanitize their homes, um, masks for like, the, they wanted masks, if the kids needed masks, we had donations to be able to give them masks to put on, to go out in public with, to keep them safe even off campus. So there were several other different areas with the resources that we connected in. Like, I mean, I don't know how do we say, uh, with one of the companies, uh, came on our campus and just gave gallons of things. So every parent, they went home with a, with gloves, they went home with masks, they went home with spray sanitizers, hand sanitizer, and, to san- and even to clean their homes. So to also keep them safe at home. Um, so one of the areas I'd like to hone in on as well, because this doesn't happen everywhere, is that you said that internet connectivity is happening in your district and there are a multitude of ways this is happening. Can somebody tell me and identify all the different ways that a child can connect with um, the internet access? I think, honestly, as social workers and as the Roosevelt School community, I think we're just really big on students that may fall through the cracks. I know we're always looking at that list of those kids that just didn't pick up their iPad during the normal distribution and saying like, what happened? You know, where are they? And so I can say for myself, um, I had gone to, I think, three different shelters last spring, as well as this year, you know, just dropping off those iPads and retrieving them. And, you know, just the look on the kids' faces to know that they weren't forgotten about and the iPad was just delivered for them to be able to connect was amazing to see. And then also, you know, for our families that maybe just could not afford Wi-Fi, were not able to get into the Cox program for just various reasons, you know, just being able to share with some families that, hey, you know, we have other options. Um, we have a hotspot and just being able to explain like to families, what is a hotspot? And we can we can give you a hotspot. You know, T-Mobile had sponsored various hotspots for our families and them to just get their hands on that and connect, you know, it excites the whole family to just have that pressure off of them to focus on other bills. And then also um, just locations where they can drive up in parks nearby. I believe we had one over at El Prado Park. And then also the buses um, that were located at various points throughout the district to be able to increase the Wi-Fi. As we know, a lot of it was getting clogged up as everyone transitioned from, you know, being in school in person to just clogging up all of the all of the Wi-Fi the Wi-Fi spots, and then also just partnering with different businesses, you know, to help support our families and just give us more options to be able to afford more hotspots for our families in need was amazing. 
Tristan adding on, you know, there were some families that had never had a computer in their home. And we were able to communicate with some out outreach community people, and we were actually able to give them actual computers to put in their houses for ones that had never had any. Yes, the Arizona Cardinals, Cox Communication, T-Mobile, um, those companies have all been huge advocates of making sure that our kids have devices as well as making sure that they have connectivity. So thank you so much for bringing that up. That's really critical. I have a, I think I have a good, a good story for that. When the pandemic first happened last year, we went to spring break and we just never came back. And so one of the first things our principal did was um, have each of his, our teachers contact their kids and ask them what they needed. And a lot of the kids didn't need, uh, what weren't asking for, schoolwork or, or, or internet access or anything like that. They were scared about the pandemic and they they did maybe didn't have food. Um, they didn't know when their next meal was going to come. Um, they didn't have uh, the basic disinfecting supplies, kind of like Barbara was saying. They didn't have masks in their house or couldn't afford to get masks. And so what ended up happening was a lot of us social workers went and that was the thing that we started getting for them was just those basic necessities. And what we found was it built this great relationship um, with the neighboring community, right? Is they started seeing us um, as a source of hope, um, as a source of help um, and people that they can go to and ask for anything, right? And so uh, what we started doing was the teachers at my school started buying soap and started buying hand sanitizer and they, they were knitting masks. And um, I started having just like a little table with food and some masks and things like that. And then that's now transitioned into like a full blown community pantry that serves over 350 people a week where people can come and shop and it has masks and sanitizer and things like that. And one of the families that has been benefiting from the pantry uh, for the last couple months was actually a family last year that adopted another family at our school. Um, they had good jobs. Um, they were working in the hotel industry. One of them was a manager and one of them, um, you know, one of them was one of the maintenance managers and they actually adopted a family and was able to provide a bunch of things to our community. Um, and they were embarrassed to ask for help at first and through just seeing us every week, um, be there um, with a smile on our face and not with no judgment and just whatever you guys need is we're here to get it for you and if we can't find it we're gonna if I don't have it right now I'm gonna find it for you um, they've been able to successfully kind of get it back up on their feet um, but with a lot of help you know from us pointing them out to resources and getting that help in there um, and their students have been really really grateful for everything that we've done each of you has a different culture you work at a different campus is there a unique program that you've established that is significant and you know it's impactful in the community? One, I believe for me is, is partnering with Patrick Peterson, which is one of the cornerbacks uh, for the Phoenix Cardinals and his uh, organization nonprofit is called Shop With The Job. So this year we were not able to shop with a job because of pandemic going on. So what they did was we, put them in small groups. And so I was at Walmart all day and we were able to still let 50 kids shop with a hundred dollar budget and go through and be in a safe spot um, and shop all day. And that was very rewarding for the children because we truly missed the Cardinals football players being the jocks to shop with. But at least he was like, I still must make this go on. So we were just so grateful that 50 of our students from the Roosevelt School District got to go shop at Walmart with a $100 budget. Wow, and you led that charge. You made 
those 50 students a day by leading a charge like that. So um, during uh, Christmas time, you know, there was a lot of families that, so I, I'm over at Amy Houston and there were a lot of families that were really uh, concerned about being able to provide a, a holiday for their, their child, right? That whole experience. Um, and so I was able to partner with an agency um, outside uh, you know, a, a community agency that was giving toys and they were able to um, uh, provide about a hundred toys for our, uh, not just our students, but our students and their siblings. Um, so we had about um, 30 families that were able to benefit and we we basically got their, their Christmas um, taken care of. So a lot of families were, were very grateful for that opportunity who wouldn't have had a Christmas otherwise. So you took initiative and you reached out, you found a resource that was going to like support families who couldn't otherwise have a Christmas without that type of support. I just wanted to build off the relationship piece because I think another aspect of, you know, what we do as social workers is not only like create partnerships outside of the district to support families, but it's also creating partnerships within our school communities. And I think at my school, you know, just mandating in a sense, mandating is maybe not the right word, but maybe formalizing this idea of building relationships, you know, within our schedule as well. You know, our principals, you know, created space for our school to have community circles every day, you know, to allow teachers just to have some some of that time that's not all academically focused but focused on building relationships with the students and parents see that and as those relationships are built I do think the comfort level then rises within our families in our school community where they feel comfortable to and willing to reach out to teachers if they are in need or reach out to other you know speaking for myself I and other social workers, we join community circles and my counselors join community circles and administrators join community circles. And so there's a lot more visibility um, kind of in this format right now where hopefully, you know, families feel that we're, we're building that relationships. And again, there's more comfort for them to come to us if they have um, questions or if they have any needs that, that they can use support with. Not just outside of the community, but within the district, I think that this year, um, through the pandemic, we have seen a, um, a, re a relationship among schools um, really be forged. Um, and, you know, as crisis occurs, um, our, our community as a district, Roosevelt School District, has, um, has gotten much stronger. Um, and we've been able to support other schools in the district, not just our own, though we're all very good at supporting our, our own schools. Um, we've been able to really support other schools that are also struggling and, and support other, um, uh, you know, support outside of just our own, our own school. So I just want to mention that as well as we're talking about relationships and, and definitely the Roosevelt School District um, has a very strong relationship amongst the district. And I think that, that that kind of pours out into the community as we're 
you know, as we support the community, the the support within the district is um, obvious. What are some of the things that you've done with the social emotional learning program in the Roosevelt School District? I think that, you know, when we're talking about um, the pandemic and everything that's going on and we keep getting back to these relationships, right? And what we learned was, is that, um, that no significant learning happens without relationships, right? Is kids, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care about them. And we want our kids to be able to come and feel safe and welcomed and loved in each of our campuses and social emotional learning, um, what we decided to do and, and it just, it highlighted it. And it was so, it's kind of like, it was almost like a perfect time, right? As the pandemic happened and we were gonna roll this out anyway, but it was almost a perfect time to start it because kids need that love and need to feel it even more now, right? When they're outside of school. So basically what we did um, as a, um, a group or as a, you know, a cohort was we started to come up with um, a very simple plan of um, four basic pillars of social emotional learning that we want to um, roll out for our whole district. And, you know, the first one's going to be relationships at every level, and that includes the relationships between us and our students, between us and our staff, us in the community and our students with each other. Um, and kind of kind of modeling that behavior for them and then teaching them the ability to recognize and label their own emotions um, and then how to regulate those emotions, right? And then how to interact with each other in positive ways. And so um, what we're doing now is just working on that, that very simple first step that's gonna be the foundation for everything. And that's building significant relationships with each and every one, uh, with, with each and every one. So, you know, that includes, like I said before, you know, between the students, between us as staff, um, because they're looking at us too, right? <laughs> so. You have four pillars. The first pillar is to build relationships. Number two, you got to make sure that you teach students to recognize their emotions. Number three, how do you regulate those emotions so that way a person doesn't become overwhelmed? And then number four, how do you navigate through those emotions so that way you can stay positive and supportive? Well, in the beginning, this was an all-year relationship with a student that was removed from his home from his parents with DCS, um, which would net would normally be a negative relationship, but we partnered with them and um, and was able to get him in a family member's home. But I continue with that relationship with DCS. So with that relationship, uh, once he finally got, full, the grandmother got full custody of him as a guardian, she got sick with COVID and then had a heart attack. So at this point, he did not have a guardian again. So he calls me 12 year old and he says, and I do Zoom. He said, there's two things I need from you. He said, I need a new parent and I need to get in school because I can't stay at home. The people that I'm with, they said, I can't stay at home. So I'm just like, oh my goodness. So that same partner with that relationship I have with DCS, I was able to call them, tell them the situation. But meanwhile, parent, the father had got deported back to Mexico. So we were able to get someone to volunteer to drive 
the, the son back to Mexico to meet with his father. And he was like, yay, thumbs up. He was so happy because then that happened all in 48 hours. So it was just phenomenal that we as Roosevelt School District have relationship with DCS. It's not a negative undertone, that it's a positive that we've merged together and that we can able. And they were so grateful that I called them and we were able to make that happen. How critical it is to have social workers in each of our schools to support our families, to support our students, and also to support our teachers because they can't do it by themselves, right? So it's pretty phenomenal. Your story that you shared is so heartwarming. Thank you for stepping up to the plate and making all of those contacts. Our students um, that we also, and we also do group counseling and we also push in and do lessons um, for kids when there, there is different um, lessons and things. So I think that that's something that gets pushed to the side sometimes because everybody thinks about the community things that we're doing. But I think that social workers are a really good marriage between being able to get out there in the community and do community work, but also get down and do like the, the, the therapy and like that one-on-one -on -one stuff and the group therapy and things like that. And so it's a really good marriage between the two. And I think that that is what makes us so unique as a profession and that's what makes us so valuable to school districts. Um, and then with that being said, um, you know, the RSD social workers actually won the Community Impact Award for the ASU School Social Work um, this year for 2021. Uh, we were nominated and we won. And so I'm pretty proud of all the work that they've done. Not only have they, you know, done the 10,000, gotten 10,000 people tested, we're also feeding through mobile distribution over 2,000 families through mobile distribution each month through St. Mary's. And so we do have a lot of really great um, community um, partners out there that are doing great work with us. But piggybacking on that, when you were talking about we're just counseling children, our kiddos, I've had parents that I've had to help. I mean, they have been stressed and I've been helping them like even with creating a budget uh, to like, I don't know how to make this food stretch anymore. And we're literally, okay, this time of month, you go get this food box, you do this. And we're literally all the way down to figuring figuring out a menu for them. So those are things we've done. I've literally helped them with, okay, I would help them call them. And then I was like, okay, we need to Zoom because they're not good at this. Teaching them how to be able to have uh, Zoom and group me uh, meetings so they can get their medicines and everything, all those behavioral health needs met. So we have an array of people look at social workers and and they're like, what do you really do? And the question is, what don't we do? So we, it's really amazing. So when I, when we tap into each one of our social workers, which is wonderful, every one of our schools have a social worker. Tiffany is talking about, you know, we do do one-on-one -on -one, um, sessions with, with kiddos on campus and we do group sessions um, and, and we do sessions with, uh, again, I'm, I'm just talking about how we support our teachers. And so part of the SEL curriculum is not just the, the kiddos learning um, how to regulate their emotions, but the staff that's working with them to be able to co-regulate um, in stressful situations, because I think that that's a huge part, right? Um, when a child is going through a crisis, um, it's our job to to share our calm, not join the chaos, right? And so um, that co-regulation piece is a is uh, embedded in the framework, the SEL framework that that we've kind of put together, and it's an important 
um, I think it's important to mention that co-regulation piece as well, as we're talking about SEL as a whole, um, it's also training for our staff, not just, you know, um, how to help our our students, but it also gives us a language across the district um, to be able to, um, to use common language where our kids are going to understand what all these different words mean and this vocabulary, right? Um, that that parents can use at home as well. So there's eventually going to be this bridge too between like this parent training and and teaching them the language that we're using at school. So then they can use some of those tools at home and give our our kids a full SEL experience. So thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate the participation of Tiffany Hughes, David Kyrus, Kristen Kurtz, Linda Flores, Barbara Wolf Colbert. Thank you so much for being here. It has been an absolute pleasure working with you today. You truly are the heartbeat of the Roosevelt School District. You have one of the most challenging positions during some of the most extraordinary times. You spend countless hours making people feel safe and emotionally sound. In addition, you go to great lengths to provide leadership, service, and resources in your community. I learned a great deal from you today, especially in the area of hard work, effort, and dedication. Your sharing will help other leaders around the globe, especially during this worldwide pandemic.